Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Hello, Michael. Hey, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful! (laughs) Well, that felt toned and warm. So, Red, we need to talk about your granddaughter's intentions with my boy. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding you. Come on, let's hug it out. What do you think? Michael, let's go! Jackie, will you just give me a minute to enjoy this? The vein on Red's forehead is about to explode. Gross. I don't want old guy blood all over my wedding outfit. You're getting married? Remarried. That's our second remarriage. Mm-hmm. Well, this one's going to stick, right? Yeah. That's uh, that 90s show. All episodes of season one now streaming on Netflix. James Dempsey uh, joins us once again. Afternoon, James. Good afternoon, Sean. I suppose this requires very little by way of explanation, really. Not really. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing about that 70s show is it ran, uh, I think it ran from from 1998 to 2006. It had 200 episodes. It had eight seasons. It won only one Emmy, which it won for like costume designing and an episode all about disco. And it launched the careers of a lot of people, uh, I suppose the most successful of which are, would be Ash, Ash, Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis, but certainly Topher Grace as well. And um, I don't know if it has lived on in kind of the culture, like, you know, in, it's certainly not part of the cultural zeitgeist, but in terms of ongoing streaming and stuff like that, I know it, it did find some kind of streaming audience on Netflix, otherwise they wouldn't have poured some money into this but it hasn't been streaming there since i think the year 2020 so it's not like this was you know absolutely uh, like a permanently popular thing in the way that friends was but it's not actually the first reboot they've attempted of um that 70s show in in the early 2000s they or not the early well about 2008 i think they had um that 80s show, which uh, starred Glenn Howerton, better known for his role in his It's Always Sunny in, in Philadelphia. And that was a 13-episode, one-and-cancelled done thing, uh, quickly forgotten. I had even forgotten its existence until I did a bit of research for this. But they announced this, I think, about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. I remember doing it as a piece of TV news, actually, on, on the show way back mm. when. And... Um, I think it, it, you know, what works this time around is that it is nostalgic in two different ways, right? Obviously, when I was watching that '70s show as a teenager, uh, in in you know, in what when it was on, I didn't, I, I didn't live through the '70s, so I can't say I had any great fondness for the for the pastiche they would make of '70s culture or movies or music, beyond the obvious jokes that they were making. But this time around, it's double nostalgia for me because I have not only the 90s, which I live through and remember, but I also have the fact that they have brought back some of the old cast as well. So the original show was set in Wisconsin in the basement of the Foreman household, essentially, where a group of kind of very archetypal friends hung out. And even though I didn't know it at the time, smoked a lot of uh, weed. <laughs> and <laughs> as, like, as, as a younger viewer, I did not get that that's what they were doing. And um, uh, this time around, the show has chronologically moved 15 years into the future. And Eric Foreman, who was Topher Grace, and Donna Pinciotti, who lived next door, they have uh, wed and have a child together. 
who is Leia Foreman, named after Princess Leia, as that was a big touch point of the first uh, season of the show. And she has returned to the family home in Wisconsin for a visit, is staying with uh, Kitty, her grandmother, and Red, the uh, constantly annoyed, but very uh, funnily so, um, uh, grandfather. And basically, through various machinations, decides that she's going to spend the summer with them. And if a second season comes, my understanding is that it won't be in 1995. It'll be moving on to summer 1996 and i think each subsequent season if it goes a distance will be a summertime adventure right okay but but it, it but that sounds like though i mean it was it, it was a kind of a uh, uh it was an ensemble cast in that 70s show where's the ensemble in this so the ensemble in this is twofold, right? On the one hand, um, we have Leia and a whole new bunch of teens, right? So we have her, she befriends very early on Gwen, an next-door neighbor who is a kind of stand-in. They're all very much stand-ins for the original teen cohort, right? Leia herself is a stand-in for... Um, for Eric Foreman. Then you have Gwen next door, who's a kind of uh, a riot girl, uh, 90s music person who's a stand-in for Hyde. Uh, then you have Jay Kelso, who is the son of Michael Kelso and Jackie Burkhart, uh, Ashton Kutcher and uh, Mila Kunis, uh, who's the kind of love interest. Uh, you have Ozzy, who's the stand-in for Fez, who is a... Um, He's gay. <laughs> That's what they've done with him. Right? <laughs> I mean, and they've really like it's it's not subtle. Put it that way. Then you have uh, Nikki, who is uh, like an uh, overachiever girlfriend type, and then you have Nate, who is the himbo dumb brother of Gwen, a uh, twin brother, I think. So it's all just uh, yeah. It, it, we're working off those archetypes, and then the main, I guess. Uh, cohort from the original show who are appearing are Red and Kitty, who are, are are in every episode. I mean, it's taking place in their house, it's taking place in their basement. They are constant. And they're really welcome in return. I would say, you know, Deborah Jo Rupp, who played Kitty, I guess, in 200 episodes of That 70 Show, she's definitely no household name, but she's you know, she's like a sitcom. She's like a sitcom uh, huffer. Like she can just do absolutely. She knows. She knows how to wring a laugh out of every line reading. How to elevate fairly average material into something very, very funny. And I watched the first episode of this. Um, and I, you know, I can't say I warmed to it particularly quickly. I thought like, okay, it was nice to see Eric and Donna back again. It was nice to see these characters again. Had I thought of them in the last five years? Probably not, but I, it was a bit of a, it was a, it was a wanely welcome return to them. But the more I watched it, the more I got into it, the more I liked it. And I liked it because of Red and Kitty, who are now grandparents. They are empty nesters. They are uh, 90s people, I guess. They're engaging in the internet. They're buying massage chairs. Theirs was the story I was more interested in than the teens. And certainly, what I found intriguing about this, and uh, not necessarily in a positive way, is that um, you know the younger, like I don't know if younger viewers are going to tune into this in the way that I would have as at their age into that 70s show and thought, yeah, this is really funny because the teen aspect of the story is not great, whereas the adult aspect of it is very, very funny and very charming. But that's only because I have nostalgia for these characters, which a younger viewer may or may not or probably mm. doesn't. And does it lean into the fact that it's set in the 90s now where they would have an expectation that more of the audience would remember that period of time? 
Yeah, I, I thought like yeah, I thought that was um, a bit of a failing in the show in that it wasn't. Look, I guess they're kind of damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. If they lean too heavily into the nineteen nostalgia, it can just become a bit too much. Whereas all in, I thought they didn't lean in enough. Like I was waiting for more and more obvious jokes uh, to come in and more cultural references that just weren't immediately coming to hand. But certainly, if it gets a second season, and that these days is not a very guaranteed thing with Netflix. There's a lot of one season one and done shows getting cancelled early in their run you know there was this series 1899 i think it's called that became a bit of a cause celeb recently when it was cancelled after mm. maybe being out only a month or two months into its run it must be expensive show to make but they they cancelled it immediately without really much chance to build an audience and almost no publicity this has had huge publicity so if it doesn't garner a big audience early on you know it could be curtains Right, okay. Right, we'll move on to our second show of the day. It is Mood. You can catch it at Thursdays at 11pm on RTE2 or catch up on the RTE player. Here's a clip. Explain why I found this in your room earlier. You can't just go in my room. You need to own up to what you've done. Of course you believe everyone but me. The things you do affect other people. I don't want to affect other people. I am just trying to live my truth. What truth? Grow up! Your whole generation is self-obsessed. Social media has convinced you that you're all gonna be the next Lisa Stansfield. I don't even know who that is, bruv. I'm not getting involved. You are involved, Laura. We're moving. No, we're not. No, no, we are moving. Megan and us, we're selling up and moving, and you, you are not coming. Kevin. I wanted to talk to you. You're an adult. You keep telling us you're an adult. Well, it's time to bloody act like one. You'd let him kick me up. Right now, this is this is an odd mixture of things. Uh, <laughs> given the the components in it, it's a it's about sex work, yeah. but it's a musical. Yeah, and it's a musical TV show, but it's definitely a drama. And I think you kind of have to know that going in. I mean, the clip that we played there is was a moment of comic relief, certainly. But in an episode that was full of uh, really tense, awkward moments. But actually, I was struck by when watching this. It comes from a creator named Nicole Leckie. It's based on her one-woman show, uh, which I'm not sure if I can say on the air at this time of the day. You can uh, make that super call. Super ho, you can. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Anyway, so she she I think she brought it, it. It played in London. It probably played in Edinburgh. And the BBC commissioned a six part drama out of it. And in it, she plays Sasha, who is um, a 25 year old aspiring musician from East London living at home. She's had a fractious relationship with her with her mother, who we heard in the clip and her stepfather, who we heard in the clip uh, for for many years. And when we find her in this opening episode, she has just awoken from a night uh, trying to patch things up very, very, very poorly with her ex-boyfriend. And there's this opening scene. This show uses social media so well. You know, you're watching her scrolling on her phone and you're getting like almost the front-facing camera's view of her as she's doing it. And like you see her going through her WhatsApp and there's like 41 calls made to Anton and then she plays a voice note that she's left him and it's excruciating. And I was really struck by how, you know, if you thought of the first kind of maybe the last the first the last 15 years i think i read recently that breaking bad debuted 15 years ago very recently like that you know that period of tv was all about the male anti-hero if you think of like don draper mm. or you know or breaking bad and sort of in the last 5 years it's all been about 
the the kind of female anti-hero that has begun from a stage play <laughs> of one woman show <laughs> if you think of like Fleabag I, and they all do you think th- of I may destroy you you yeah. become and they all tend to have done something highly self-destructive at the start of it. Absolutely. And this is absolutely the same. Now, this is not a comedy in as much as they are. I would say I would liken it more to I Hate Susie, which is more dramatic. Well, I mean, it's definitely a blend of comedy and drama, but this is more drama than anything else. And we follow her. Uh, we follow Sasha as she essentially is forced to leave her home and becomes homeless and the show then goes into her uh, chance encounter with a kind of uh, Instagram uh, model who in her spare time runs a kind of OnlyFans or cam girl type existence. And Sasha gets pulled into this. And what is very intriguing about the show is two things. First of all, you know, I think it is a very um, frank portrayal of like sex work as a as a as an option, if you if you want to call it that, right? You can see how um, how this kind of industry would be um, attractive, I guess, as an immediate solution when you find yourself in great financial difficulty, uh, and and that you might turn to this as an option. But then it is very frank and honest as well about obviously the many pitfalls of entering this industry and how it can be extremely dangerous and how it can take you places where you didn't want to go, uh, you know, if you if you don't have your wits about you as you engage in it. Now, the other thing that's odd about this is then it's also a musical, right? <laughs> so like, you know, you um, and how that works is, right, as I said, Sasha is an aspiring musician. So we get moments in the show where she is, you know, imagining songs that she's writing and almost music videos that she would record if she had the means to do so. But then there's other moments, there's a really brilliant song in the second episode where she's sitting in the local job center waiting to collect her dole kind of thing. And it becomes this whole stage production with dancers and like a chorus and uh, multiple parts and choreography and all in, but it's all just in her imagination. So it is a musical, but it is, I guess, I can't remember if it's diegetic or non-diegetic. I failed to remember that one, but it's all happening in her mind rather than anything else. But what struck me so much about this is, I mean, there have been many, many successful, uh, you know, musical series. Uh, the most obvious one would be My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which I, I still love and think is one of the best shows of this century that has not got the due it, is, it deserves. But they often take, you know, uh, very lighthearted or, well, I mean, that My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend has its edge, certainly, but their songs are pastiches and they are um, they are riffs on other musicals and other musical genres and stuff like that. Same with, with Schmigadoon is coming back as Schmicago uh, in a couple of months' time. Like, modern musicals tend to be very tongue-in-cheek uh, with an edge. And this is all edge, right? Uh, it is, you know, it is at times extremely dark, extremely uh, tense and serious. It's a, it, uh, the acting is absolutely fantastic. Nicole Leckie, I think she's been shortlisted for like a BAFTA Rising Star Award or some BAFTA recognition anyway for writing and cre- creating this. Where she goes next is very, very interesting to see because the music is fantastic. The series is this odd mercurial strange thing but like it's hard to ignore it kind of thing it just it'll it, it's so strikingly different that i've i you know I, i'm really riveted to see where it goes at the end the, the use of or the inclusion of music in it that does that add to it do you think 
Yeah, I do. I think so. I mean, the the songs that we hear her singing are, I mean, it, it is like a stage musical in that it includes the characters or it augments the scene in which she's taking place. It presents her emotional well-being, her emotional state, and it at times even moves on the plot. So it's not just some, like it's that, you know, when I was talking about Kaleidoscope a few weeks ago and how I thought the gimmick of that, you could watch the episodes in any order. That felt like a gimmick after the first episode because I felt like actually you could just do that with any show and therefore the gimmick has no purpose. Purpose. But with this, the gimmick is it is a musical. And gimmick is a bit of a tawdry word to use in this mm. instance, but I'm using it anyway, right? The, the kind of unique selling point is that it is a musical drama about sex work. And the music, I think, adds so much to the kind of like the just the general vibe of the whole show of this kind of uh, 25-year-old East Londoner who wants it big but um, has had a hard life and is angry and furious with the world and 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 how her rage is kind of just always simmering under the surface, but yet how she's sort of like she's just a victim of her own circumstance as well. All in, yeah, it works extremely well. Right, we'll move on to our third show of the day. It is The Rig. You can stream all episodes of season one now on Amazon Prime Video. Here's a clip. I need options. Could we light it manually? How was she going to do, Magnus? No, there's no manual ignition procedure. No, not in the books, no, but back in the day, before we were uh, HNS compliant, when this used to happen, the stack goes out, someone's got to get out there, get as close as they can to the cloud, and shoot a flare through it. Boom. We'd have to use the crane, but get too close and be caught by the blowback for sure. It's doable. That's too risky. I'll do it. Doesn't have to be here. Well, it's less of a risk if you might be dead already. Okay. We do it the old-fashioned way. Right, so everything I've uh, read about this, James, seems to point in the direction that this is utter nonsense. (laughs) Yeah, and the problem is it's kind of like... Look, there's nothing wrong with a bit of utter nonsense from time to time. Like, as in, it can, you know, if it is, if it's the right kind of utter nonsense. And I will say, my friend Deirdre had on her Instagram stories how much she was absolutely loving this show. And I am not in the same boat, right? And both seems appropriate. So it's set on an oil rig off the coast of Scotland. It's made by a, a screenwriter named David McPherson. It seems to be his first major credit. But his father worked on oil rigs for years and years. And he came up with this story in 2018 uh, after he did a master's in environmental studies. So you have both a kind of environmentalist, um, you know, ideal going into this. And then I guess the seasoned, uh, you know, well, sea shanty singing oil riggers. I don't know what they do. Right. Mm. But um, all in, it's just a bit of a hodgepodge. Right. So uh, this oil rig off the coast of Scotland. Um, is the perfect place to set a drama because it's a bit like, you know, the most obvious comparison is The Thing, I thought, anyway, you know, that uh, that horror movie from the 80s about the alien in, in either the Arctic or the Antarctic where this science mission are isolated by themselves and they have to contain a menace. And there's something kind of going on to that degree here. On the oil rig, they're set to fly home for the summer, you know, for, for a few holidays when the fog rolls in, the flights get, can- the helicopter flight gets cancelled and uh, earthquake 
even though this is not an earthquake zone, strikes. And some kind of something funny is going on. At one point, ashes are falling from the sky, and uh, additionally, men are falling from the sky. <laughs> and uh, and uh, there's some sort of contagion going on. And I actually thought the show suffered both from comparisons, comparisons to The Thing, but also to The Last of Us, which is this absolutely brilliant portrayal of, you know, a kind of mm. zombie apocalypse or some kind of breakout. I'm not saying this is zombies, it isn't, but there is a, something weird, natural weirdness going on, and it this is just doing it really poorly. So they're on the rig. Uh, the cast, I mean, is is very, very competent people. You have Emily Hampshire, who you would know as Stevie from Rosemary, or Stevie from... Um, from uh, uh, Schitt's Creek, who uh, is not doing great stuff here and certainly isn't able to polish the lines in the way that Je Deborah Jo Rupp is able to do in that 90s show. Uh, you have Ian Glenn uh, and other uh, Game of Thrones alumni, as well as um, a few uh, Line of Duty alumni as well with Martin Comston and Roshenda Sandal. And everyone here is all very competent actors, but the, the material they are given to work with is cheesy but not cheesy enough. It's silly but not silly enough. It's po-faced and way too much po-faced. The problem is if they were going for like a B-movie style kind of schlock thriller, um, they failed because it's not chun it's not funny or charming or there's no lightness of touch to it. Everything about it feels way too serious, way too dour, way too miserable. And then when you couple all of that with some really unbelievably terrible CGI, um, for me, it just it it exhausted my patience, and I will not be going the distance. Put it that way. Right, that's that then for that one. All right, so that uh, the three shows today we've been talking about were that's that ninety show, all episodes of season one now streaming on Netflix. Mood that's on Thursdays at eleven p.m. on RT Two. Of course, you can catch up on the RTE player. And The Rig, you can stream all episodes of season one now on Amazon Prime Video. And I should point out to the listeners that obviously James wasn't with us in the studio today. That noise in the background is because uh, he's on the set of the latest remake of the Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> James Dempsey, thanks a million. Thanks a million, thanks a million. <laughs> Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2 p.m. On News Talk.